This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. We have a really good one for you today, guys. So later, when we review the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, we are going to be joined by Voyager writer Lisa Klink, which we're very excited about. And then just to keep the momentum going, when we talk about the news, and there was some big news for us to talk about, we are joined by Trek movie editor and Shuttlepod podcaster Matt Wright. Hi, you guys. Welcome, Matt. So I think, guys, we should start with the really big news, which is after weeks of us saying, I don't know if there's ever going to be another Calvin movie. I hope so, but I don't know. (laughs) It sounds like there is. Well, I've been holding out hope. Certainly the latest Simon Pegg comments were hinting that they were heading that way. So anyway, the, the big news this week is Paramount held a big Investor Day conference they um viacom cbs renamed themselves paramount so um and they announced all sorts of stuff all sorts of new tv and movie franchise stuff but when it came to star trek they finally said yes we're doing the star trek movie in 2023 and it's going to have the kelvin crew in it and here's jj abrams (laughs) to talk about it JJ, yeah, JJ actually made the announcement on the investor call. So they brought him in, which is significant. Specifically about this film, he said, we're going to do something you've never seen before. He also said, and this really hasn't gotten a lot of notice, but he said, you know, we're really thrilled about this film, meaning the 2023, essentially Star Trek four, you know, follow up to beyond. Then he said, we have a bunch of other stories that we're talking about that we think will be really exciting. So we can't wait to for you to see what we're cooking up. Now, we've been reporting that, you know, based on our tea leaf reading, there are multiple <laughs> projects in development. Um, and he's basically saying, yeah, this is this is not it. And, th- and this is what everyone's doing. You know, there's multiple Star Wars movies in development. Obviously, they release a new Marvel movie every month or so, you know, so... <laughs> Paramount, even though, I mean, the weird thing is it's how many years? Six years? Yep. Six long, sad years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, they're putting out lots of TV shows, but for the movies, it's been a, it's been a wasteland. It's been a bumpy ride for any project that sort of had a little bit of momentum and then didn't slow down, stalled. Yeah. And he also said that they plan to be shooting by the end of the year. Which is a very optimistic thing to say, um, considering yeah. that they haven't quite finalized all the cast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but they, I don't think, you know, Tony, as you keep saying, like they're not going to come out and say that unless they, if, if they, <laughs> if they think they're not going to get everybody. I mean, there's a difference between they're now reaching out to the cast and starting the process because another part of this announcement this actually came from variety is there's a new script uh so the script last year um we were talking about uh the writer from the captain marvel movie there's now a new draft written by a couple guys josh friedman who did avatar 2 and cameron squires who worked on wandavision so it sounds like the director yeah he's bringing in his crew basically Yep. Yeah. And I suspect Paramount wanted a rewrite, especially sure. the the new guy, you know, could have been a budget rewrite, which is pretty common. Some people are being cynical and saying, nah, we've heard this all before. And I get that. Sure, there is some of that. But this is at a whole different level than 
you know, like the Tarantino project, which was always just kind of simmering at a low level. Sure, they commissioned a script, but, you know, bringing J.J. into the investor call, putting it a press release out. Saying that they're talking to the actors, that they're actively talking to them. And uh, Simon Pegg posted on his social media, the, you know, Starfleet logo, you know, I, yes, it it could fall apart because that happens in Hollywood. But you know, there's a lot of momentum behind this and behind Star Trek at Paramount, because this was just part of a larger Star Trek package during the investor day that was about a total of five minutes dedicated to Star Trek. It just started off with the movie, then they transitioned to the TV shows. So I don't know. What do you, I mean, Matt, what do you think? If you were to throw a percentage at well, this. I lean a little more towards the cynical, having remembered the Chris crisis of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> so, the great Chris crisis of 2018. Yes. Uh, only, oh, see, like I was all jazzed. She was like, great. This is like, you know, given the more aggressive timetable. Awesome. And then they were like, oh, but by the way, we actually haven't really negotiated with the cast yet. And then I was like, oh no. Like, that's exactly what happened in 2016, where JJ comes out and he's like, we've got a fourth movie. It's totally happening. We're going to go right back and do another movie. And then, of course, no. So I have flashbacks to that. So I lean more towards the, like, uh, if when the ink is dry on the contracts, <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be really happy about it. You know what I mean? Like... But you're right in the sense that they wouldn't tend to bring out J.J. if they hadn't at least, I don't know, put out feelers, you know, kind of started the whole, hey, like, we think we're going back kind of process. Like, are you available? You know, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's somewhere between zero and 100 percent. We just we aren't exactly sure where. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even really guess at this point. But yeah, but I I lean towards past 50. Yeah, same. Because I think it, it's such a big deal that they brought him out. And obviously they have already had conversations with all of the actors. They, they must yeah. have, yeah. They have to, because otherwise they would have just read this in the press and been like, what? So, uh, true. I, yeah. You used know? to me. <laughs> yeah, what? I'm busy. I'm booked, baby. Yeah. And they are spending money. You, you know, when you hire someone like Matt Shackman, that means you are act, you are actually paying him, and you are paying these writers now another set of writers to write a script. I mean, yeah. it's it's not the tens of millions, you know, you know, over a hundred million. We don't know how far they're going to go. Um, what was that about the uh, latest the Mission Impossible movies costing them two hundred and fifty million or something like that? I forget, but it's a yeah. lot. They're not going to spend that much on Star Trek. I I hope actually, because if they spend too much, it'll be yeah. It'll you we'll know have the problems again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I'd like them to settle somewhere between you know, somewhere around one fifty. I think is a reasonable amount for a Star Trek movie. Yeah, that seems entirely reasonable for the current <laughs> era. It may it may not be possible. I mean, like with all the cast, though, they may yep. start creeping closer to two, and that's that's when yeah. you get into the danger zone yes right we don't know anything about the plot there is no you know except that it would obviously take place in the or involve the kelvin timeline because you don't have that crew if you aren't in that timeline but uh you know the the weird thing is is that if a five-year mission started at the end of star trek beyond which I guess they kind of said at the end of the movie. Oh, like a, like a new one started? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if Kirk and that crew went out for a five-year mission, um, 
you know, in real time, that's, uh, they're, they're back. They're, they're done. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. And look, the truth is that, look, they're, they all look great, but they definitely look older than they were. Yeah. They're definitely, they can't ignore that for sure. Like they're going to have to acknowledge that it's been a while somehow. They could do like, um, the last year, like of their five year mission. Yeah. That's you know? what I was just thinking. You know, yes. because and then it'll make sense that there's been a passage of time that they look a little different and and then it'll have a different sort of feel to it also. And yeah. they could be like way out there, you know, just they're literally final frontier if they've been out for five years, nowhere near any star bases or anything, which I think is where you can get into some interesting stuff. Imagine and, that. And, Earth, you know, Earth, Earth isn't in danger. Well, you know. famously, Paramount execs. And apparently this has continued over the years. It's kind of amazing. Despite major regime changes, every Paramount exec seems to come back to this idea that for the movies, especially Earth needs to be in peril, like directly <laughs> in peril. And it's like, what? No, please don't. Yeah. Well, it's the only planet they really know. I guess. <laughs> <Right. you> know? <laughs> they just need to watch a couple of episodes and then they would know, know that gal like, there's a galaxy out there full yeah, of yeah. wonder. Do you yeah. see the Earth? No, not really. You never really <laughs> see it. There's a reason for that. Well, I yeah. I think Brian Robbins, the head, you know, I'm not sure he's a Trekkie, but he's definitely very Trek aware. He worked on on Prodigy, um, helping develop that for Nickelodeon when he was running Nickelodeon. He, in fact, had said that he was considering doing a Star Trek project even before that. So, I, I think he knows a bit more than he's, Earth he's and noticeably, in a good way. He's noticeably younger than a lot of other. <laughs> Uh, past presidents and stuff in the sense that like he's you know like he came of age that's somewhere in the maybe late 70s early 80s you know and so yeah. he was part of that generation where TOS was in syndication constantly and like you know it's just a different like yeah I could see that actually like working because he's more aware of it he like he perhaps likes it just you know he knows there are other planets besides Earth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> he talked a lot about a multifaceted approach to their big franchises, and they're doing this with things like Sonic. There's yeah. a li live-action Sonic TV show being developed. There's obviously an animated Sonic cartoon, and I think two or three Sonic movies coming. So, you know, they're doing the same with Transformers. Um, strangely... They aren't doing the same with Mission Impossible. I, I, I've been shocked that there isn't that, a Mission Impossible TV show. Yeah, that begs to have uh, an ongoing TV show. I think they're waiting for Cruz to step away in the... Mm -hmm. the there's two more coming, and I think that, that one's going to be his last. And then maybe they'll do a TV show spinoff. Yeah, seems but, like that's that what makes sense. For. Yeah, but 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 Vi you know, Viacom or I'm sorry, Paramount is looking <laughs> for these multifaceted. So I think because you know, right before he introduced Star Trek, you know, he introduced it, you know, saying, you know, speaking of franchises with Global Reach, he was talking about this consume, you know, this multi, you know, TV animation feature film mm -hmm. feature feature animation. And consumer products, you know, and so I think that's what they want to see with Star Trek. Obviously, some of those things exist already and some don't. I would be shocked if there isn't an animated Star Trek movie put into development in because, the next five years. Because who was just talking about that? Well, that was Brian Robbins, right? He was even saying that, right? That he was really interested in that? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I think I'm like, I'm certain they're going to do that next. That will be... 
I mean, when I say next, I mean, that shouldn't be the next movie. The next movie needs to be live action, I think, to kind of rekindle the franchise on the big screen. So you're saying like the next two basically need to be live action? No, I think I think live action 2023, but okay. I bet the th- whatever follows that is going to be an animated movie in like hmm. 2024, 2025. Gotcha. Interesting. It's an interesting um, idea. Well, to go back to this whole thing that I forgot about that JJ quote until you reread, you know, read it about the whole, we've got other stuff cooking, which is great to hear. It makes me wonder what's our kind of, you know, I speculation, navel gazing about what do we think is still on the back burner that they're cooking? Um, I thought the one thing that it's probably, well, (laughs) there's no such thing as for sure in this, you know, sort of development phase, but it seems like the last most recent announcement was almost exactly a year ago with uh, Kalinda Vasquez's script. That seems like maybe that's in the hopper, you know? I suspect they will take a an approach just like DC and Marvel. There's going to be a connected universe and standalone stuff. It's unclear, you know, where hers fits yeah, in. Yeah, we have no idea where hers, yeah. The, the big question is how do they connect this to the TV shows? Because they're, you know, soon enough we're going to have five TV shows. Uh, by 2024, there's going to be, some of those will be rolling off, but there'll be new ones rolling in. How are the, you know? Are they going to even try to connect Kelvin to the TV shows, or are they going to start making movies connected to the TV? Shows? I assume that they're just going to start making movies connected to the current CBS like universe because attempting to do another pretzel twisty thing with the Kelvin, which was already its own offshoot to soft reboot things, basically like they shouldn't try and somehow. Well, like so. I mean, come on. Star Trek invented the multiverse, and now everyone's doing the multiverse. I, I well, know. Yeah, Copycat. Yeah. 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 I don't think it's that hard for them to to get the Kelvin universe and the Prime universe into one movie. I well, really there's, don't. I would say there's certainly opportunities for characters to somehow go back and forth. Discover's already done it, right? They had that. I mean, they've at least shown there's a connection. Um well, Between... it was a one-off mention. And then they mentioned, by the way, that it's harder and harder to do these multi-universe hops that they're drifting. So at least that far in the future. So Yeah. The point is, I they I don't think they want to keep the Kelvin universe as its own little walled-in universe. I imagine. And I know Al- Alex has said as much, is that he wants to see these things connected. I think you need a new cast, though. I think you move on and start new stories though at that point Possibly. i don't know we'll see i mean we already have different spocks <laughs> right we don't <laughs> so need like it's just an, well it's just another one like okay throw so, it in there we got um, lots of spots the other one that i would love to because it's, it's so it was so intriguing was it would be really great if they would also resurrect the holly project because it sounded so different and interesting and it doesn't have to be a tentpole right because now it's not the tentpole it's one of this new series of variety of movies. So it doesn't have the pressure or necessarily have the pressure it did. Before. And that could be a, a, maybe a Paramount plus movie. Sure. Right. Or even a mini series. I mean, Holly's now, isn't he doing a, sorry, get me right. He's doing either an alien thing or a something alien. Yeah. 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 So he's kind of tied up for a little while, but, Oh, yeah, this would be, you know, you know, we're talking whatever, what, 
three years out, maybe, or something at this point. Even. Of course, the Tarantino thing would be great, but I've always said it'll only work if he's attached to it. And... Yeah, I think without Tarantino, it's dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, pretty much. Yeah, I think so, too. It's just a yeah. thing that was tossed around. I guess, that is there. do we have anything else on the movie? No, I, mean, I think, nah, we I think should... that covers it, yeah. As mentioned, Paramount did this larger announcement. So after JJ left the stage, they brought in some Star Trek actors in a pre-recorded thing for the investors. So it mm-hmm. was uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, Kate Mulgrew. They actually animated her as Janeway, but she was... <laughs> <laughs> as prodigy, prodigy Janeway. Um, Sonequa, uh, Anson Mount, and uh, yeah, that's it, right? That's it, yeah. That's it. And they, you know, they did a, you know, just kind of talking about Star Trek. It was a nice little thing. It was green screen. So they were all standing on the um, transporter platform from the new Enterprise, the uh, Captain Pike Enterprise. Oh, they all were? It would cut back and forth. So Kate was on the uh, Protostar and the the other three that were live action standing on pads, um, all talking about Star Trek. And then everyone but Mount left and then Anson introduced... He said that, you know, the next show is going to be Strange New Worlds. And yeah. he, you know, kind of did a nice little introduction to what it what it means um, and what the show's going to be like. And and then huh. the and Internet then... went crazy yeah. because basically they showed a trailer that was meant to be just for the investors and not to be in the feed for people. Yeah, they meant to black out the feed. Right. right they yeah. meant to black it out. They didn't. didn't. <laughs> a lot of people saw it. A lot of people started screen grabbing and posting yeah. and going crazy on social media. And then Paramount was not happy about that and started to pull stuff back and ask people to take things down or have Twitter force people to take yeah. things down. They shut down an account, at least one. Um, so it was a little it was a little crazy because it was like, oh, we've got a new trail. Oh, yeah. No, we don't. During these investor presentations, a lot of things are shown that are just shown to the elites, as it were. This would be analysts and high-end investors. So they brought in Tom Cruise, and they probably showed some Mission Impossible footage. And there, you know, so every once in a while, the feed would go blank, and it would just show, you know, we'll be back in three minutes. Yeah. Um, and they did that when JJ showed up, uh, but for some reason, they forgot to do it, um, and. As I understand it, I think the trailer, tra- whatever the trailer they showed, I, you know, I saw it because I was watching the thing live. It was good. Pike had a beard at one point. Yeah, Marcus. I saw the internet blow up about that. They're like Pike's beard. Pike's, <laughs> no, of course, of course, now we need Pike a band. Is a, yeah, yeah, Pike's it's on totally a horse. Band name. As we yeah. as suspected, Pike would at some point be on a horse. Of course, yes, um, had to. And it was good, um, but it. I think that they feel it's not ready for whatever reason. It was never meant to be, you know. They need to polish it up or whatever and time yeah. it with something. Maybe they're waiting until Picard. I suspect they're waiting until after Picard premieres. Yeah, because their current push is all Picard. Like there's billboards right. going up in New York and L.A. and stuff. Yeah, and Picard. stuff in subway stations, which yeah. we posted on our Twitter feed. Yeah, there's a like, lot of stuff happening. Yeah. Let, let's hype one show at a time yeah. is their point of view. And uh, that's going to be on March 3rd. So I don't think they're really going to push Strange New Worlds until after March 3rd. No. My thought was, actually, especially given the timing, is it's probably 
April 5th, you know, first contact date. When they, when they, because they've now historically, what, for the last two years, done an event to go with it, like a little PR event to go with it. Yeah. So, and, and well, this year, though, uh, there's going to be something called Mission Chicago, in theory. Um, Is that over that time? I forgot. Okay. It's that weekend. It's oh, the it's that week- weekend. Okay. Yeah. So, but well, the first contact day, I think, falls on a, a, you know, during the week. So it wouldn't be the same day, but it would be that week. That seems like a reasonable time for them to do it, yeah. but uh, you know, it was unfortunate how fans were so excited. They're like, "Oh my god, a trailer!" Um, I just assumed it was going to show up on YouTube, which is why I wish I paid closer attention to it. Yeah, <laughs> when when it was well, rolling, it, it seems like everyone has seen that too. Just you know, all over the right. interwebs, we're just like, "Oh, okay, cool." And in, in, in a few minutes, I'll get a YouTube link and we'll paste, you know, share it everywhere. Nope, nope. <laughs> That's a huge disappointment. I'm super bummed that <laughs> I didn't have the time or whatever to go turn on the live stream in the yeah, background or something. I didn't get it. to see it. I didn't get to see it. And I did. I saw a lot of those screen caps before they were taken yeah, down. Me too. Yeah. And I've been trying to like when I know people who are running doing other Trek things when they've posted them, I've sort of warned them like I think you yeah, should take like, those down so you don't not, get in trouble. Not wise. So, not yeah, wise. yeah, and because a lot of people just honestly didn't know. It looks good. From what I remember, what Anson Mount said about the show sounded good. He, you know, talked about how they're going to explore unexpected places. Well, it is called Strange New Worlds. Yeah, you bet, they better be going to Strange New Worlds. We've, right? Yeah, all we we were like, please don't go to you know boring, familiar worlds. <laughs> right. We have a little bit of other Strange New Worlds news on another podcast, Naomi Melamad, who's the composer on Prodigy, revealed that she's also going to be the composer for Strange New Worlds. And so we reached out to her and uh, she answered some questions for us about composing for Strange New Worlds. She confirmed she's doing the episodes with Jeff Russo, who is the composer for Picard and Discovery, is doing the main theme and the end theme and they're well into it they uh they're i think recording seven, episode 7 or 8 so you know i, I think this is great news cuz i've been really impressed with her on prodigy what do you guys think yeah i love the prodigy music i think it's great and i think she's just the right person for it oh, yeah. i'm so happy i agree well and as soon as like you know especially because she did one of the short treks that's the pike crew you know one of the pike crew short treks and stuff and so it was like i i really did expect her in a way to be to do this and so when i saw that it was confirmed i was like good that that's what i expected like great like <laughs> i'm happy like this is what i expected so and and i liked what she, when she described her approach because she said she's going for a cinematic approach which i think is really clear if you're watching prodigy and she said that there are recurring themes and motifs as the story permits and some musical callbacks that people will recognize and so this is all really nice to hear Mm-hmm. All good things. Let's face it, the original series is famous for these these beats, these these little, you know, you'd recognize, you know, the fight music and you know the sad music and you know the beautiful, sad love story music. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> and I, I think that's fun. Like, I like a little bit of a callback to that, to that way of doing things. I, I hope that's, yeah, I hope they do it in that way, actually, a little more overtly. The music on Prodigy has been very active. She obviously knows her Star Trek. I mean, this has been a big dream for her. So, yeah, this is going to be good. Everything 
about Strange New Worlds is looking good, except that we can't actually look at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but soon enough, we have a little bit of international news for our listeners across the world. For our global and desperate listeners who are waiting to hear when they're going to get to see and, uh, the shows they, they haven't seen to... yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> the big question mark is Europe. We got a little bit of more details. It looks like uh, Paramount Plus is going to be arriving this summer in the UK specifically, as well as South Korea and the Caribbean, which is new. That was re- just announced. So good news for you people in the Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then the rest of Europe is going to be later in the year. Um, it's going to arrive a couple of different ways. There's going to be Paramount Plus through Sky. Then there's also going to be this thing called Sky Showtime, which is in Eastern Europe. Um, but it looks like by the end of the year, Europe is going to have Paramount Plus, but we don't have all the details yet on all of that. But um, of course, as soon as we do, they will be on the site so you can come find out. Yeah. But it it does look like when Strange New Worlds launches in May, you're still not going to be able to see it in Europe, yeah, even no, in the UK. The, the, that whole thing of summer is such a bummer because it's like, ah, you couldn't get it for people who are crazy excited about this show in May. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a complicated thing, it's, launching oh, yeah. a streaming service, obviously, but yeah. it would have been nice. Would have been. And then, of course, they're, you know, it's a it's a big planet. So the rest of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Paramount said that uh, 2023 is your year. So with no more details than that. One other thing about things going global is uh, the center seat uh, documentary series that aired on history in the USA and CTV sci-fi in Canada this week. It was made available for digital download to either rent or buy through all the normal channels, Amazon, Apple, all of that. And on Friday, it's going to be made available on IMDb TV UK. Uh, All of the episodes all at once will be available via IMDb TV in the UK. It's a great documentary, so we highly recommend that you watch it if you haven't been able to. I mean, the the one weird thing about it, though, as I was just checking today, is that it's still split here between the History Channel and the History Vault. Yeah, I was just going to say that the folks in the UK are actually kind of lucky. It's just going to go every episode onto IMDb TV. Right. Nice. One place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that digital download, I don't think you mentioned it, but it's it's now supposed to be worldwide, right? So people... Not just the UK, you know, everywhere should be able to at least get it. So that's good. That is excellent news. Yeah, that's Um, good news. And I guess that's it for the news. That is. And (laughs) Matt, I'm glad you could. (laughs) Yeah, Matt, I'm so glad you could join. We're going to kick you out, even though we love you. Uh, Time for me to go because (laughs) you guys will know you guys have a really cool guest. So I'm actually pretty excited to listen as a listener to who you have next and her analysis of the episode with you guys. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. Yeah. Thank bye, you, guys. Matt. Until Thank next you. time. <laughs> bye. All right. Well, now it's time to review Discovery Episode 409, Rubicon. And with us is our very, very special guest. She was a writer on Star Trek Voyager seasons two through four, I believe. Joined in season two, wrote a Deep Space Nine. Please welcome Lisa Kling. Hello. So great to have you, Lisa. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Should we dig right into the episode? And 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 why don't we let our guest kick off? Uh, Lisa, you know, just uh, 
what are your first thoughts on Rubicon? Uh, I liked it. I thought that they really created a good dilemma for both book and for Michael um, and really kind of kept tightening the screws, which I thought uh, was pretty effectively done. All right. Tony? I really want to like this episode. It has everything I want. I liked it. I didn't love it, it you know, but I, I, I thought it was going to be a great episode because I love you know, it had the you know starship battles and it had the, the big conflict between Mike and book. And I thought it was going to have everything I wanted, but just every once in a while, there were these tropes and these character beats that seemed out of nowhere that took me out of the episode. And, uh, you know, but I, I'm not, you know, that doesn't mean I didn't like it. It just kept it from greatness, I guess. Like what? Well, certainly they want to be bringing in a character for the bridge crew and, and expanding on who they are. But I felt that their like random bickering in the episode just was seemed out of left field, unprofessional. And even after Saru berated Reese, uh, he did it again in the shuttle. It just seemed like they were they were doing it to set up uh, Culber to you know defuse the situation, uh, but it just it it wasn't organic. It could, we don't know enough about these characters for it to feel natural, and it just felt out of place. Um, there were times when um, one of the issues with the show, which I generally don't agree with, is that it kind of focuses too much on characters' feelings. I think that that is par- part of the show. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the episodes where I think they take it too far, where you know, Nan is talking. Nan had a very focused thing to do on the bridge, and then she starts talking about this past um, mission of hers and all the stuff, like right in the middle of the battle. It's just like that just seemed like it could have been done at a different time. And that's something that the show does is has these kind of odd emotional outbursts in the middle of like a battle situation. And I don't think it needs that to amp up the tension because the tension's already there. The stakes are already there. Well, I thought that they had the uh, crew members kind of bickering to, to reemphasize that uh, book and Michael both had sort of valid points of view that even though book was sort of on, on the opposite side, that reasonable people could find his point of view valid. Yeah, I thought that was definitely the intention. I Like Tony, I didn't love the way they did it. But just thinking about it now, I'm like, what I would have actually liked to have seen was like a bunch of them. I mean, not that there was a lot of, there was room in this episode, I thought. Like all the action kind of happens later. Um, but imagine if we would had like a nice scene of all of them together and having a pretty lively discussion about it that escalated into something like, I feel yeah. like that would have felt less out of, out of nowhere than while they're on this mission, they just decide to start <laughs> having a fight about it. <laughs> in a way that's it's as I put in my review, there's a time and a place for everything. I actually didn't mind too much when Saru comes to the bridge and Nilsson and Reese, I believe yep. were having their kind of debate that felt okay. It was, it was while they were, I mean, this is such an important mission and they're, you know, sneaking up to Book's ship and there's a super genius on that ship. And <laughs> it's just it's just not the time hmm. to pick up that argument again. And it felt very disrespectful of Mr. Saru, who I love. So maybe that's why it got me going, because I'm like, come on, Saru just told you to pipe that stuff down. And now you're doing it again in front of him and and still not listening to him. So then now Culber has to come in and save the day. I don't know. 
just felt awkward. Maybe, but maybe the biggest thing is the kind of everyone suddenly forgetting that Tarka exists at the end of the episode. No one was ready for him to do his thing when it was like, of course he's going to do that. I've been feeling that way about Tarka for the last few episodes, though, which is like, I keep saying, like, my alarm bells were going off from the first moment he appeared. He's such a great character. And I love the way he's being played. He's so much fun. But I just think... Like there's one moment where where Culber says, "Oh, Tarka's the wild card," and I'm like, "You right. think? You think? Like nobody? <laughs> they're all talking about book, and nobody is taking Tarka into account." Lisa, do you? I mean, how do you feel about how they handled Tarka at the end? There, you know, were you surprised that he blew up the DMA? No, I really wasn't. Um, I mean, I kind of looked at it from from the dramatic point of view of once you set up this this super weapon that he's built you're going to have to set it off. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just just dramatically, you have to. And I thought that Book probably would be talked down by Michael. And so I, it, I did think that Tarka would probably be the one to, to detonate it. And I really loved that scene where they come face to face through the shuttles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I thought like a, a part of me kept saying, this is cheesy. And then I just decided, I don't care. It looks great. And, it's, and it was powerful. Yeah, it worked for me. I kept on looking over Book's shoulder, like, because Book was doing something <laughs> on his on his screen. And I'm like, Book, certainly Book is shutting off Tarka's access at this point, right? Is Please tell me he's doing that because it's obvious <laughs> Tarka is about to do something. And uh, and because and everyone, like, is relaxed and they're high-fiving each other. And I'm like, Tarka, 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 come on, people. And, uh, you know, so, and he did it because, of course, he did it. Yeah, I mean, from the get go, I've always I just keep thinking I want there. I have so many questions about Tarka and I know everybody does, too. But I guess what's been frustrating for me is that last week, you know, Awasha can finally was the one who's saying, like, we got to think about this. You know, she's asking Tarka things and trying to get to the bottom of what's up with him. And this again, his very few characters seem to notice how he is the wild card and he's the one that everybody needs to watch out for and maybe needs to address and maybe they could have talked to book about Tarka and say like I think he's using you well here's a question does Michael know why Tarka because book it's obvious is doing this because of Quajon and wants to stop people from dying who besides book knows that Tarka doesn't care about anything he just wants that power source he doesn't care how many people die i don't think so when michael comes in and says oh we're going to talk to them and everything's going to be fine obviously that argument works for book right right but but you know did she think it would work for tarka because she didn't know his motivation that was kind of the impression that i got was that they knew that book had such a strong motivation that I think they kind of assumed that he was leading the charge as opposed to Tarka driving the use of the weapon. Huh. Right. So here's a question. Is Tarka the real antagonist, the real villain of the season that species 10 C, although they've killed a few million people at this point (laughs) really aren't, you know, that because they are probably doing it by accident. We don't know yet. Um, well, I think but they're going to become like... an adversary because we just blew up their uh, their source of uh, boronite or whatever that that yeah, the... element was. Yeah, uh, I think that we might develop a conflict with them. I took it a totally different way. I think they're so 
incredibly powerful that they almost don't notice. And there's some guy, you know, some super being on the other end of, you know, back in their home system. And he saw a light go out and he's like, oh, someone turned off the DMA. And he just like, he just like hit the side of the machine and it started up. No, again. It's, it's like airplane where he plugs it back in. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's no indication that, you know, they care, you know, they just turned it back on again. And it, cause it isn't the DMA it's a DMA. They could probably make a million of these things. Yeah. Um, but if, if they have no reaction whatsoever, then Michael's argument was completely wrong. You know, the idea that if we do this, it's going to be interpreted as hostile and we're going to have these really powerful aliens as our enemies. I mean, that was her whole argument for stopping book and the fact that she didn't get to stop him. There should be consequences to that. I think they're all wrong. I mean, Tarka was wrong, yeah. right? The DMA is powered from the other side. I think they were wrong that they care. Although, you know, I'm not sure about that one yet. I do. It does feel like next week because they kept on hinting, you know, the, the, the show likes to do to set up what's coming next. So there's, something's going on with David Cronenberg, right? Because they mm-hmm. kept on mentioning Dr. Kovich um, and who's working with. Who's Bryce. He working with? Bryce. Right. Yeah. Which again was like, Bryce, can we tear you away? Sure, I'll just go pilot the shuttle. You know, I again like this this thing that's really important, which is this first contact thing, it's it's been backburnered a lot. Like it's just something they often just sort of casually mention people are working on. And I have to say, I'm I'm so intrigued by by Ten C and by Tarka and by this whole thing. And I feel like so many times I'm just, I'm waiting for more. I mean, I feel like now they really, it's time, but I I just sort of wish there'd been a little more instead of just a tiny little tidbit each time. What did we learn about 10C this week? I mean, I think we learned that they're even more powerful than we thought they were, you know, because they could just turn this thing back on again. Yeah. Um, Because that the weapon was supposed to destroy subspace. You know, if you remember back in Star Trek Insurrection, it's the same kind of thing that happened there. And it didn't seem to phase these guys at all. They just said, you know, whatever. And they just kept on mining their Boronite. So, but we still don't know anything about who they are. But I think we did learn a little. So I'm gr- I'm really glad you're here, Lisa, yeah. because um, there's a interesting coincidence here and i want I, i'm curious if you've been picking up on that so last week there was the mention of Boronite for the first time this week when they showed the controller i got some serious omega vibes <laughs> and they so, and Boronite is in that episode as well Boronite is in which episode the omega directive the omega directive Oh, I didn't remember that. Teleplay by Lisa Klink, people. Yes, I, d- I didn't remember <laughs> that we had that. Yeah. Boronite, uh, I, I feel weird reminding you. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, but Boronite is what you use to make Omega Molecules. Okay. Um, so, according to you. Or, yes. You know, the right, the right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are correct. <laughs> But at least, but in this episode, you you know the visual of the controller with the rotating dodecahedrons or whatever mm-hmm. that I also got kind of a an omega molecule vibe from that. So yeah, it did look kind of similar. Yep. Again, I feel weird saying this a bit, but as you wrote, you know, it is the most <laughs> powerful thing ever, ever, right? Yeah. So it kind of 
tracks that if these guys are as powerful as they are, that, you know, to them, they've kind of sorted out the Omega molecule. Although one would wonder, maybe the Omega Directive no longer stands in the 32nd century because no one's mentioned it. But what do you think? Do you think this is all tied to that or it's something else? I would like to think that it's tied to that, that they actually have been watching old Voyager episodes and and <laughs> keeping them in mind. I mean, I, I could believe that the Omega Directive no longer exists that far in the future, that they have learned how to control it to some degree uh, so that it's not just destroyed on on contact. So I would I would like to think that it that it is all consistent. I hope so too, and think so. Do you have any species ten C theories? Uh, I don't actually. I'm I'm as curious as you are to see what kind of beings they were talking about here. I mean, it would be really cool if they were like non corporeal beings, if they were energy beings, or something other than you know human actors with plastic on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Paradise, the showrunner, was talking about. They did a Twitter Spaces and was talking about ten C and said that um, that ten C is unlike a species we've ever seen before. Oh, good. So they're definitely, it's not, you know, there've been so many fan theories about, you know, everything from Calvin's from the original series episode to like the, the doctor after living witness, you know, still <laughs> lost in his shuttle or whatever is going on there. <laughs> Cause that was like 700, 800 years in the future. Um, but I'm glad it's, it's, she said, it's definitely something we've never seen before. I really hope that's true. And in, in that case, I would, I would not want it to connect back to, either the original series or any other uh, any other series. I mean, that's that's kind of the fun of Star Trek is discovering brand new things that we've yeah. never seen before. So I would like this to be something totally original. And I think it could be a totally original, and I hope it is a totally original super being. I mean, when, when they were first introduced, they started rattling off other super beings like mm-hmm. the Metrons and Q. So I think whatever they are, they're in that pantheon of, so they're not just like the Malon um, or, you know, just some random forehead aliens, as you were saying. They <laughs> right. are something at a whole different level, um, but there's something new. But it doesn't mean that they can't use the Omega Mall, you know, because they are definitely mining Boronite. Yes. So they, they use materials. They make things. And uh, so, yeah, sure. Because it, it just kind of is shorthand to show how powerful these are. Because Omega is so dangerous and powerful and the Borg were obsessed with it and they could never get it done. I don't think it's the Borg. I think that Picard owns the Borg yeah. in a way. I don't think Discovery is yeah. going to play around in the Borg backyard. But uh, <laughs> I just have such a vision right now of the Borg backyard. <laughs> do they have do they have barbecues do they invite people over some weird exercise equipment out there i don't know go assimilate the neighbors yeah <laughs> so but um, yeah i i think we're gonna i think we're gonna meet them next episode i hope so i think it's i time. hope so i feel like it's not yet but we'll see <laughs> i just it's been that that part of it has been moving a little slowly for me and the the tarka part like lisa i'm actually curious if you have any theories on tarka as well you mean where he came from or what he's about what either like what he's really trying to do or you know what is his deal like is he as he told book what the truth 
Is it is it all fabricated? Like, what's what's your take on Tarka? I I believe that he is trying to get home. Um, I mean that that seems like a pretty strong motivation. But I would be interested to find out what what made him cut off from home. You know what what is making it so challenging for him to get back. I'm a little confused about so home is another universe, but not the mirror universe. And of course, the multiverse allows for plenty of universes. But I thought he was just prime universe rice a guy who met a guy from another universe. And but now it feels more like he is actually from this other universe. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, he could be. I, I would. Like I said, I imagine that his home must be something that is that is very difficult to get back to, that he hasn't been able to without this immense power source. You know, he said this has been 10 years in the planning, which is a little confusing because the DMA just showed up. So I'm wondering, has he, you know, has he known about it actually for longer and hasn't just never told anyone? Could he be somehow connected to it? I, that's, or am I reading too much into that 10 years in the making comment? Yeah. No, I think I think you might be right. I think that there might be some more backstory to come out because they they did specify that length of time and, you know, they would have thought back to, you know, what was going on in this guy's life 10 years ago. Right. I mean, that's before Discovery showed up. It was during the burn, you know, it was a whole different thing. Yeah. Back then. I mean, I do think that Sean Doyle is doing a really good job. I think this is a great character for the show. Yeah. He's really disrupted things. I think he was great in this episode. And as you said, he was really moving things forward. I did like how this parallel or where you had Michael and Book, who were essentially the heart of the episode and their conflict. And then each of them had like this devil on their shoulder. So so the whole time Tark is talking to Book saying, you know, you just got to, you know, we're going to have to get through Michael and you've got non on the other side, basically saying the same thing to Michael saying, you know, we're going to have to get through book yeah, and you guys are going to need to make a decision. And I, there was kind of a poetry to that, that I, I really liked. Yeah. And it sort of raises the stakes on both sides. Yeah. The stakes are pretty high. I mean, that because it's, it's, you know, there's the relationship, which is one thing, but there's also the safety of millions of people. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, and which is my, uh, that is, my favorite kind of storytelling is one that combines what I say global, but it doesn't really apply to Star Trek because you have to go bigger than global, but global stakes as well as deeply personal ones at the exact same time. And yeah. I think one of the things I lo- like, I don't always like when they spend a lot of time sort of talking about things in a calm and measured way, but I thought that the way they dramatized at the end, Book and Michael, and the way that they're fully communicating without talking to each other by having their ships do these moves to the point that they're both actually enjoying it in the middle of all this. That part I thought was like that shone to me. That was really, really beautifully done. And I, I love when they, when they do that well. Yeah. And they were referring back to both referring back to this, you know, maneuver that they both did, you know, years and years ago that, you know, they each recognized that the other one was using that same maneuver. Right. And which is also a way of saying we're still communicating. We're still talking to each other. Right. It was the sexiest battle I've ever seen. Oh, really? <laughs> Those two have great. No, but it, it looked great. It did look great. It I did. thought the way you know, the interior of the DMA was fantastic. In a way, though, we've been told like this is this horrible thing. When you get in there, you're like, yeah, it's actually kind of nice. But the, the whole battle, I thought, was great to show their chemistry and they were having fun with it. Until Tarka, you know, decided to like fire every weapon on that ship. Yeah. 
I think that the relationship that Michael and Book have had has really grown in a great way this season. They've taken it because at first I'm like, oh, you know, having his the boyfriend on the ship, hmm. and that remember the first episode, it's like, why is the boyfriend on the mission always? Oh, he's, he's there as this kind of um, you know, alien whisperer. And I'm like, um, I don't but, care, I love him. <laughs> I, I i think they've taken it in a great way and this arc i i think there is a, you know we now can see how there is a way back but what i didn't understand is so we're at the end book is said you know what michael will get i'll give you a week tarka then does his thing mm-hmm. why does book stick with tarka what are they now what are they going to do it just it, that that i'm confused about well i thought that michael proposed that that Book and Tarka would both be sort of held on uh, the Discovery for, for that week, that they weren't going to be just allowed to go running around the galaxy. Yep, that's what she said. And Book agreed. Right. So why did Book leave, is the question. Why didn't why didn't Book turn himself in? Because it's it's you know the whole Tarka plan didn't work. Right. There's no reason for him to stick with Tarka at this point. Tarka really pissed him off, you know, uh, multiple times he installed the crazy safety feature on his ship without asking yeah. him. You know, he fired all the weapons without asking him. Then he fired the DMA without asking him. There's no reason why these two should stay together. So hopefully we'll learn something more in the next episode. Cause at the end I was wondering where's book, why isn't he there? And all Michael said was, you know, I can't get in touch with him. No, it's an interesting question. I really hadn't thought about, you know, what what is going on back on Book's ship right now. Are they just having a big old argument or where are they going? And, you know, are they on the run at this point? I mean, it seems like they, they would be. Well, we know Tarka does not want to go sit on Discovery for a week or for right. any at all, ever. Like he, he and he also is the one who stole the spore drive prototype. Right. So he's the one who's in bigger trouble, I think, for that. Oh yeah, no, he's definitely in a lot of trouble. That's why I was thinking maybe they're they're on the run. Well, but Book had already been resigned to the fact that he was going to prison, and I think he'd like to be back with Michael and you know just kind of work that out. Tark is, in a way, things haven't changed for Tarka because Tarka just wants to go to this other universe and he just wants the power source. The only thing that changes where the power source is. So now Tarka's plan is to leave the galaxy. He's just, I assume, going to go try to find 10C, and instead of destroying their DMA, which is just their drilling equipment, he's probably going to try to destroy them. Yeah, I think it's going to he... be a race of both ships to, yeah. to cross the galactic barrier and and find these people. Well, he said it was through a wormhole, right? The DMA travels, so they're out, although it doesn't sound like they're that far outside the galaxy, but there's, you know slightly outside the galaxy and they send in the DMA via a wormhole. Right. Um, But I think they are going to try to get to them either just to, by going through the galactic barrier. This brings up the issue of, you know, how, what is the range of a spore drive ship? Can it, you know, is it, but I get the sense it's not easy to just go through the galactic barrier, even for a spore drive ship. I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Um, I mean, I, that's, I think, where we're headed next week. Yes. It's probably time to rewatch the Gary Mitchell episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and they did have a ship called the Mitchell. 
Although I can't imagine Starfleet actually naming a ship for Gary. No, he didn't. I mean, I'm sorry, Gary, but you didn't earn a ship being named after you. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it's an interesting note given that we're talking about galactic barriers again. So they name dropped the galactic barrier at least three times yeah. during the episode. Yeah. So you know, to remind us, it's it is a a barrier. It is a it is something that the characters are going to have to face. Right. They can't right. Just just kind of waltz over to 10C, even though apparently they know exactly where they are now. Um, we haven't talked at all about the B story in, in this episode, the Saru story. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was the first shipper. I, I just wanna, I, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought Tony was out of his mind because the first time they were together, Tony was like, ah, there's something going on there. Back in season three really yeah i love the fact that they're getting closer and a lot of this stuff was fun i do feel like they they could have somehow made it it just at time the storyline felt added on like they they knew they had to do this in a episode and they just said well let's do it in this one but how do lisa how did you feel about the way they integrated it into the episode well, I thought it really was very much a B story, you know, meanwhile, back on the ship, um, <laughs> which which you need. I mean, just just from a production standpoint, I mean, you need to have scenes on your standing sets, especially if you're doing like, you know, a lot of a lot of special effects, which they did in this episode. You know, you need to save money basically by having having things on familiar sets. So that was kind of what I thought was driving was the reason for putting the B story in this episode. I felt like they they cut the scenes from a different episode and put them in here when they had some room. Is kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah, it didn't feel real connected, did it? No, it didn't. And it it was a little weird how Saru beamed her over to his quarters. Well, well um, did she actually beam in, or was it? Yeah, a hologram? that was that was a hologram. No, it was a, it was a hologram. Yeah, that's they the weird show, thing. They show every once in a while they show them like. Do a little glitchy thing to remind us. I think right. that it's, because they did that with book as well. Right, like you just see this. Yeah, but she could sense him through the through yeah. space. And I thought the really weird thing is when they started their meditation, he created a holographic pillow for her to kneel on. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm like, how is she kneeling on that when she's on Vulcan? Right. I thought that whole scene would have worked, maybe worked better if for some reason she was at HQ and that was all done while they were at HQ yeah. and she was actually in person and she was somehow tied to the mission with Tarka. Just maybe there's a way to integrate the Vulcans or sorry, the Navarians into the plot a little bit more, you know, but it was fun. I mean, the thing at the end was, it, you know, it almost reminded me of, you know, a teen drama with two guys like talking like, oh, I got this text from a girl. What should I say to her? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it was cute. It was very cute. Culber was great. And I love that this romance is going, moving on. It, you know, they're two aliens who shouldn't be together, but it works. So I think it's great. And I hope it doesn't end in tragedy. I mean, that's the thing I'm worried about. It's so great. <laughs> I feel like something horrible is going to happen. Oh. And Saru referred to Sukal as his ward, which made me think of Batman and Robin. Yeah. Like, so yeah, oh, young ward. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved it. I loved the storyline. I just wish they blended it better with the rest of the episode. Yeah, something a little more thematically tied together, maybe. 
I liked his conversation very much with Culber at the end. Like I thought that was cute and fun, but I kept, and it was sort of like Culber's like shutting off all the lights in sick bay, like heading home for the end of the day. And then mm-hmm. he has to do this one more conversation, but I almost wish that he'd gone to like Stamets and Culber together as the relationship experts. Mm. Like that to me would have been just a slightly more fun scene. Cause it could have been a little more playful, a little more banter. I feel like Stamets hasn't gotten to do very much for the last few episodes and I miss him. And so I just thought that would have been a nice, like if they were, you know, getting together at the end of the day and then Saru comes in and asks them because they've seen, they've been through all kinds of stuff. Well, I thought that Saru was going to him as essentially a professional counselor, not just as as a buddy. He was. I mean, I I agree with you that that's why. I just think it would have been more fun if it had been sort of slightly, just a little different. But I liked what Culber said to him very much. The one bit of connective tissue I saw is... They t- that whole storyline was about risk, right? And mm-hmm. and Saru was afraid of risk, right? And it was and and Culber had to remind him that risk is worth it, you know. Which of course risk is our business. And the and the rest of the episode was about risk and risk assessment, right? But then of course, because um, Discovery feels like you aren't getting this unless we tell you. Hmm. Tarka had to bring up game theory um, <laughs> and talk about a, a little a literal risk assessment part of game theory. But I think that that was a nice running theme through the episode and did connect the storylines. Or maybe I'm just reading too much. No, it. I think it's there. And I also think they sort of, in a way, proved that Tarka's that Tarka might be wrong because everything that they, you know, as we've been saying, everything they planned didn't turn out the way they thought, right? Like there's right. a new DMA, subspace wasn't destroyed, you know, all these things that they kept saying, like, these are our only scenarios, didn't turn out to be the scenarios at all. Right. Which has happened all season long. Like every theory they've had about the DMA and about Tensi is kind of proven wrong. So I think we're going to get more of that going forward. That And knowing these, because think about last season, everyone's like, what's the burn? And um, of course, we thought the burn was the Omega molecule last year. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just sticking with it. Um, it it's going to come up eventually, right? Yeah, it has to. Um, and they came up, you know, because no one had screaming Kelpian child on their, you know, theory list. Correct. Um, so <laughs> I, at least I'm I sure thought you were going to say, Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that shows you how they, you know, the kind of things they want to do. I think whatever it is, it, it, they're going to shoot for something to be that kind of like, Oh, now I hope in the end we'll go, Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. That's something new we haven't seen before. Yeah. I really hope so. Certainly with all this buildup. Yeah, I mean, because I keep talking about it, it's even more, they are even more powerful than we thought. And wait, they're even still more powerful than we thought. (laughs) That they they had better be a a pretty extraordinary species. Right. And is it going to come down to some kind of conflict or do they just need to be like, I almost think of like the, the, the who's in Horton, here's a who, like, we're here, we're here, we're here, like trying to let them, you know, the, the, our people are trying to let them know, like, we exist. Stop ruining our space. So I don't know what's going on there. But it could uh, it's, be It's, it's like going to be more interesting if they're in conflict, though. Yep. That's kind of why I think 
they may not be because they I think Tark is going to be the bad guy. I think eventually they're going to have to save 10C from Turka. Yeah, like I'm not convinced he wants to get home. I think really? he wants the power source. I think he might have kind of this weird story he's made up, but I think he wants to use the power source to hurt somebody. I think he's got some kind of vengeance plan. That could be it. I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, I know that on Voyager, I mean, it was always tricky trying to think of what is, what is the big bad? And then what is the even bigger bad? You know, that the Borg were the scary thing. And then species 8472 was even scarier than the Borg. Yeah. You know, and so to come up with a new species that is even scarier than anything we've seen before, I think it would kind of diminish it if somebody like Tarka could actually threaten them in some way. That That's a good point. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. One thing I liked in this, another thing I liked was when they went over to the shuttle, at first I'm like, why aren't they all wearing armor? And, you know, aren't they going to bust in there and bust some heads? But they go over, they're just wearing the regular uniforms. They bring Culber along. And I thought, yeah, they're making a point here. And I thought maybe this is a, a contemporary point they're trying to make that some crisis situations, it's better to send in a mental health professional, someone to mm-hmm. de-escalate instead of go in like SWAT and just start shooting. Right. And I think that's what Saru was doing, saying, you know, um, we're not we're not going in ready to fire. Yeah, he makes a point of saying phasers on stun, which, of course, you would know they were doing. But he says it out loud on purpose right. so that we know. And that's why they wouldn't have had the tactical gear, because that wasn't how they wanted to be seen once they got there. Again, that was kind of consistent with, you know, Michael's whole argument about let's be as non-confrontational as possible with this new species. And I think that, you know, I mean, that's sort of the Federation way is to try and be as non-confrontational as possible. Although Nan was there to destroy Book's ship. I mean, she was ready to – I thought that was a very interesting dynamic. I think it's good to have dramatic tension between characters, although – Sometimes it might have gotten a little too overly dramatic, but I, I, I think, you know, what if, uh, the things I've always said about TNG is Riker just never disagreed with Picard. Um, and it's good to have characters disagree even on the bridge. Yeah. And I think I always thought they should bring in some 32nd century characters to the Discovery I think it's weird that there aren't any. Hmm. Yeah, we thought we early on we thought that they were going to take um, Willa, that security officer mm-hmm. who was with Vance, yeah. that that she was going to end up with a permanent position because Discovery needs a head of security, right? So we right. thought it was going to be her, and then it wasn't. And then I was hoping Nan would stick around, but it sounds hmm. like she'll be back, but she's not sticking around. Yeah, but she could be that hard ass security officer who gets into you know conflicts with michael not in a bad way i almost wish she'd been just a little harsher like i like that she was reasonable like it wasn't one of those sort of stereotypical like you don't understand us like the point was we brought someone in who does understand you so i liked that part of it but i almost wanted her to be a little more of a hard ass like maybe to say earlier on listen i'm gonna do my job no matter what or something like that and i thought that it was a great opportunity to bring up what happened with arium which is that michael couldn't do it and Nan had to do it. Yeah. And yeah, that, that would have been, been a great, it would have been a great point to make to be like, when you can't do the thing that has to be done, you know that I can and that I will. Right. 
So while I appreciated like Michael's sort of very, I thought, progressive attitude, which is recognizing not to get necessarily in big conflict with her, not to have a huge argument with her and to understand like this is how it's got to go down. I just I, I would have I felt like it could have been sharper than it was. Yeah, I agree with that. So I wonder if they are going to bring her. I mean, they, they sort of dangled it out there. Yeah. She said, I'd like I'd like to come back to the discovery. Michael said that would be great. So I think she'll be back. She was in a lot of episodes in episodes, seasons two and three. And mm-hmm. then just, I think, I think it was a more a personal. She got production. another show. She, That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. got another show. But uh, it'd be nice to see her back or a character like that. And they need a head of security. Yeah, they, they do. do. They really do. And I think she'd be great. I, I mean, I always liked her when she was on. And the outfit's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. Very. All that, all that really matters. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the big theme of this episode that I almost that almost could have been the title, although I understand why they called it Rubicon, was was common ground because I felt like that was that was the one theme that kind of stuck with everybody. Everybody was trying to find some kind of common ground. Michael's trying to find it with book, mm-hmm. and then everybody who's trying to understand what's going on. Every argument was sort of resolved in that kind of way like let's find the thing that we do agree on that right. has to happen yeah no they certainly set that up to to be a like you said a repeating theme yeah i think they said you know and i love discovery but true to discovery they said it out loud a bunch of times just in case we missed yes. it <laughs> i was a little surprised at the end when michael just seems to be fine prepping for her mission at the end i mean there was so much build up to this and after everything fell apart and the dma was destroyed and that part of subspace is probably destroyed and and then it's back and was this mission a failure and if so why didn't anyone yell at her about it like where was the president and 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 vance at the end and because they just all seem to be moving on and apparently michael's going to be sent out to the galactic barrier. Yeah, no, I, I think again they were they were focused so much on on her convincing book, which she did. Yeah. You know, and so in a sense, I mean what they what they asked her to do, she accomplished. I mean, the fact that nobody was paying attention to Tarka was, you know, sort of everybody's mistake. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that was everybody's bad. And it drove me a little bit crazy. But yeah. <laughs> I, I would agree. Like she didn't, she did do what she wanted to do and, and what she said she could do. Like she talked him down and he she agreed. Did. Yeah. And, you know, there were big consequences to destroying Book's ship because it was, it had the only prototype for the spore drive. Yeah. And it's not like Tarka was going to go back and work on it again. That's true. The president did talk about how important that is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, because they want to get off dilithium, which is a kind of environmental message for the season. Okay, so I'll back. I'll back off that one. <laughs> You're correct. As or as as Tarka says, I don't know how to pronounce this or whatever. Yeah. But you are. You are right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you guys have any other like favorite lines, favorite nitpicks, um, favorite Easter eggs from this episode? I didn't spot any Easter eggs. Tony, did you? Well, I mean, the Mitchell thing, the 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 maybe the Omega thing are probably the only Easter eggs. I mean, I noticed little things because I'm a ship guy. I was. It's kind of fun how I liked how 
we now know that the discovery can jump while cloaked, which makes it even more powerful. And these new shuttles can cloak too. Maybe I missed it, but when did they get cloaking technology? When the ship got refit halfway yeah. through season three. Okay. They re- they rarely use it because, you know, cloaking is so powerful. Yeah. That, that you always have to give their, you know, a reason for it not to work. And when they're inside the DMA, it only worked like half the time or something like right. that. You ran into this a million times or, yep. you know, you're in a situation where someone says, well, why don't they just use the transporter? Why don't they just like, use oh, the transporter all all the time? <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and and a cloak is like that because it's just such a powerful thing. And yeah. the fact that now they could jump while cloaked means they could just show up anywhere, anytime, and no one will see them until they decide they want to be seen. Right. Um, no, but I really, I did like the start. I mean, I thought Michael was great, you know, the way she was issuing, issuing orders. She's showing that she's a good cat. It's funny is people keep on talking about Michael and you hear these criticisms and they're all like, season two criticisms like she's always crying and mm-hmm. she doesn't she doesn't cry yeah. she never cries you know she's been a great you know she doesn't endanger starfleet uh but you know sure she you know maybe plays around but i think she's been a great captain all season long and this is her you know i'm a captain season and i think she's doing a good job as captain yeah one moment i did like is when she um she said her her catchphrase sort of let's fly but in a very reluctant, you know, I'm not enjoying this kind of way. Yeah, she was so sad when she said it. Yeah. That was a big moment, yeah. I thought. And it was only the second time this season. So that they're using it as you, you know, in a special way and sparingly. Because we were worried that they were just going to be throwing this thing around <laughs> all the time and it would get tired. But I, you're right. I liked how the, because you noticed it when she said it. Yeah. And how she, and how she said it. So it worked. I also think as a captain, she has like great, like she has a lot of Kirk in her, like, especially when she goes like, I'll figure it. I haven't figured that out. That's next on my list is to figure that out, which I feel like Kirk would always just go somewhere and then figure out what he was going to do once he got there. Yeah. Um, And then some Janeway, which is because Janeway really brought in the more emotional side of caring about people's well-being. Like she would say to Harry Kim, you've been through something. You need time to process. And mm-hmm. she was always very aware of the fact that her crew had emotions and feelings and and needed and couldn't just push those aside. And of course, Discovery, you know, has embraced that fully. Yes. <laughs> so more than some people like, although, <laughs> you know, it's I, I think there are lots of times when it works really well. And occasionally I'm just like, all right, come on. Not now, but <laughs> so, but I do think she has a lot of those really interesting captain qualities. Like it's good to be worried about your crew when they almost died. You know, yeah. it's like, you should be concerned. It shouldn't be. There's so many, you know, I love the original series, but they, you know, at the end of the episode, they'd all be like, ha ha ha. And you're like, uh, four red shirts died early. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and certainly on Voyager, we had the, you know, the hit the reset button at the end of every episode. And people died yeah. on Voyager too, and then they yeah. were still just like, okay, it wasn't someone we know. <laughs> yeah, basically. So that's usually how it works. I have um, a nitpick or two. Okay. Just small ones. I still, and this sort of goes back to what you were saying, Tony, about the fight with Bryce and Reese. Like, Bryce has been working with Kovic, they keep saying, because he's the communications guy. 
And so he's needed for this really important thing. Why did he have to pilot the shuttlecraft? Like Detmer could have piloted the shuttlecraft or somebody else could have piloted the shuttlecraft. It just seemed like a really odd choice given the importance of the other work. Yeah, I could see that. You know, this has happened since the original series of like you show up at a planet and you start taking people off the bridge to go down to the planet. It just never made any sense, really. Right. Okay, here's I have a bigger nitpick. Ready? (laughs) Michael says, my book book shoots the fires into the cloud. And Michael says, it's going to ignite in 20 seconds. Here's how I know that. Book and I were on this mission, and I'm like counting the seconds while she's <laughs> telling this story. I'm like, this is not the time for the first. You should say, I'll tell you later. And then just <laughs> jump right into it. But like there was a there was just this weird, I don't know if we should it was just a weird moment to uh suddenly give a little history when you've said 20 seconds. You know, that's part of what I call the oversharing pack. There's there's just lots of oversharing <laughs> on the show in general. You know, a lot of TMI, I feel. But that's it's kind of baked into the show at this point. It is. But I mean, when they do it dramatically, like they did with Michael and Book during that battle, it's then it's really great. What uh, what you know, last week when they are about to talk science and then Saru and Stamets are like, oh, Michael, we're really sorry about Book. Uh, That to me was the same as this, like one of those moments. It's like, can we maybe you could show that in some way, but just keep on doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. One little thing I like, and I know this is like practically invisible thing, but I like the fact that they mentioned Reno, right? Yes. Yeah. We know that we know that Tig can't be there as much as they want her there, but at least pretend she's there, right? Somewhere. Yeah. Because of, yeah, it still bugs me how Stamets is is you know this week he's the head of engineering, next week he's a scientist, and they keep on conflating those very different things. But at least Reno got a name check this week um somewhere and i hope she's back soon i miss her yeah well we know we've seen a couple clips of her she's definitely going to be in at least one episode i think a couple more episodes um she's only been in one this season so far she's so great she is one other thing i also was happy about in this episode was any excuse for a big wide shot of saru so that you can see his his hoofy feet (laughs) <laughs> makes me very happy and there were a couple of shots where they just pulled back and we got to see i just i love doug jones and i love those insane boots that they make him wear <laughs> you know what's great about this podcast what's great about us is <laughs> I mean, I mean, what's great about talking to you too is i'm now liking this episode more than i did when i started the podcast so well, good. Uh, good. these kind of discussions, you know, one or two things bug you and they, they just start bugging you. But I really enjoyed the episode. I'm really intrigued about 10C and you know where things are headed. So, um, yeah, there was a couple things that bugged me. It's still not, you know, my favorite episode of the season. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying talking about it, which means I must have liked it. Right. Yeah. Sure. I mean. It's funny because at first, like, you know, I watch it a couple to- a bunch of times before we talk about it. And at first I thought, oh, it's so slow and it takes so long. And then when I watched it again, I was like, no, there's a whole lot of excitement in the, <laughs> like, things really start happening and it gets big. So it's, I, it is kind of an uneven show. And so I find that sometimes it also depends on what my mood is going into it. <laughs> you know, I thought they built pretty steadily. I, I yeah. mean, the, the pacing felt good to me. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. 
I just hope that that continues and they do because they do like to kind of leave everything to the end sometimes in these seasons. And I really do hope we resolve who 10C is soon and then get introduced to another dilemma yeah. instead of just dragging that thing out. And like, you know, even though I really enjoyed the diversion last week to um, the uh, I was going to say the pleasure planet, but it's the, <laughs> the casino the planet. Barge. The Karma barge. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no more let's take a week off and do something fun even though those can be fun because we've got four more for this season right it's time to pull back the curtain and meet the wizard agreed you think maybe they're building toward doing that at the end of the season i think we're going to meet the wizard sooner rather than later but then there's going to be a whole then there's going to be like a three episode arc about now what do you do because there's this new problem yeah that's what i'm hoping for yeah we'll see I'm hoping that we see Tilly again soon. Also, because mm-hmm. I really, really miss her. I feel like that's that's been a tough uh, hole to fill for the show. I think there's an energy that I miss. Yeah, I could see that. She would have broken the ice a few times during some of those tense moments on the bridge. That's why I really liked last week. I think because there was a lot of humor, and this week was light on the lightness yeah i think you know the flirting was fun and that you know that kind of stuff but it it, i don't think i had a single chuckle there might have i'm sure there was something in there i'm forgetting about but i was sort of grinning when michael and book were grinning like when they were enjoying it wasn't like a laugh comedy wise but when they were when i suddenly realized oh they're actually like fully communicating and having a conversation through the actions their ships are taking yeah and then they're both smiling and enjoying it and then i found myself smiling and enjoying it yeah you know you're not laughing but you're gritting yeah so i think we're ready to transition to talk about our bits of the week are we we are sure at lisa as our guest you should go first uh, well, I came across uh, what I thought was a fun video that LeVar Burton apparently recorded for The Daily Show uh, talking about uh, book banning, uh, where he was uh, pretending to basically start reading something and then find out, oh, this is banned because of this, and this is banned because of that other thing, and you're kidding me, this is banned too? And I just thought it was a really fun video. Yeah, I really, I, I saw it too, and it made me laugh. Like, he does it so well, right? Yeah. It's so cleverly done as he tries to figure out the reasons that these things are banned. Yeah. The joke was none of the things he was talking about, which all seemed innocuous. Yeah. Uh, but they they were literally all banned by this or that out, you know, school or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, he wasn't making it up. I mean, it was yeah. that's, that's what made it, you know, weirdly funny. Although kind of terrifying. Yeah, it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> weirdly funny is a good phrase because it is. It's like it's funny. And then you go, except that there are actually books being banned. Yeah. You'd yeah. think we would stop doing. Like, haven't we not learned that that is bad? Yeah. <laughs> I thought we had. <laughs> I got a kick out of watching the Super Bowl last week, and it was a great game, and uh, uh, my home team won. But uh, the Super Bowl ads are obviously a big thing, and both William Shatner and Patrick Stewart <laughs> each showed up in different Super Bowl ads. Right. Not 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 for Star Trek, um, for their own little things. Um, but it's just kind of amazing that Kirk and Picard, <laughs> decades on, you know, that they just, you know. Ages like 90 and there. 80, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're still out there. They're still, pe- 
they still have people talking. Just you can't get away from Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you try? I exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No reason to. What's yours, Lori? Mine is, you know, everybody's been obsessed with Wordle, this online game and the New York Times bought it. It's such a big deal. And now there are all these specialty Wordles. Like my, uh, a friend of mine was like, there's a Taylor Swift Wordle, which I don't care about, but I guess people do. But (laughs) I kept saying I'm waiting for the Star Trek one. And then I found it and it's called Trekkle. Trekkle. (laughs) Trekkle. It's a Star Trek Wordle. I mean, the challenge is, right, that... That you Star Trek is such a gig, it's so big <laughs> to try and figure out. But it, you know, you can use it because it Wordle is basically like mastermind with letters, right? You know, so you can put in non Star Trek words. But I love just going in and trying like fork, like just something fun to throw in there um, <laughs> to start off. But it is fun, and we'll post the link so everybody can add that to their daily. They can do Wordle and then Trekle. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How many times have you seen people compare Wordle to the game from the game? Yeah. So the game. Oh, there have yeah. been memes um, and stuff like that. Yep. Well, I had to mute the word word. Like I play it every day, but I muted it on Twitter because I was tired of seeing everybody's scores and I don't post my <laughs> scores. I just found it annoying. But I like the game. I mean, you know, spelling bee, Wordle, Treckle. It's busy yeah. day. <laughs> well, I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah. Definitely check out Treckle. Yeah, we'll we'll put up a link for everybody to check it out. And Lisa, what are you up to these days that we can tell people about? Uh, well, I'm hosting uh, or co-hosting a podcast called the Trexperts Briefing Room, uh, which has been an awful lot of fun because we talk to people who uh, are associated with Star Trek, either the creative people behind the scenes, sometimes the actors, sometimes fans of the series, and we watch episodes together and give commentary on it. And it's been a really good excuse for me to contact a lot of people that I've been out of touch with for a couple decades now and uh, talk Trek again. It's so much fun. I do enjoy listening to it. And I also love when you pop up on um, my obsession, the Delta Flyers. Oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I, I, I listen to the Delta Flyers as well. Yeah, I'm totally hooked. And then and you also have a short story, right, in Star Trek Explorer? Yes, uh, Star Trek Explorer magazine just started up, and in the first issue, they had uh, several short stories, um, and one of them is mine, and it's about Q. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I'm actually working on another story for them now. Oh, cool. Which um, which track are you playing with? Uh, actually, with Voyager this time. Yay. Makes sense. Special place in my heart for Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Voyager really is having... It's having a I day. Mean, it is. <laughs> it, I, it is. Nobody is more surprised than me. I mean, it's it's kind of kind of come roaring back into my life. There's so much Voyager on uh, Prodigy. I mean, obviously, Janeway was always going to make there be vo- some Voyager on Prodigy, but now there's even more than ever. Yeah. So it's quite exciting for Voyager fans, I imagine. It is. Yeah, and the Voyager documentary. Yep. I assume you went down and sat in that chair. Yes. Yes, did. I was interviewed for the documentary. How long was your interview? Uh, it was it was a while. I think it was at least an hour. Cool. It's going to be like the DS9 doc. They're going to have just yeah. too much. Yeah. They won't know what to do with it because if they got an hour with you, you know, they've probably got two hours with, you know, Brandon yeah. and, you know, they're just like, what are they going to do? I hope they have a lot of special features and stuff where we can see some of this extra stuff because yeah. you want it to be a 90 minute tight documentary. Absolutely. Yeah, I always want to see the extra stuff. 
and I see the full interviews instead of just the bits that they end up using. Well, they should just put them all online. Yeah. Yeah. I demand it. <laughs> Before we go, we have a programming note. We're going to be back next Friday, of course, with the next episode of All Access Star Trek for the next episode of discovery but before then we're going to put out a supplemental episode where we're going to be reviewing the new audio drama star trek picard no man's land which comes out next week and we'll have an interview with the authors of that kirsten Beyer and mike johnson yeah they were great we had a really good time talking to them well thank you so much for joining us lisa i hope oh, yeah, that this you is will, fun i hope you'll come back again and do another one there's star trek year round now there is. There is too much Trek to even consume. Yeah. <laughs> and yet... We'll have to talk about a... Pro well, we should do a Prodigy episode. Yeah. When Jane when Janeway's back. Both Janeways. Yeah, We're absolutely. Prodigy is usually just me and Tony going, and then I loved this part, and then I loved that part. So <laughs> it's like a... There's a lot, of, a lot of Prodigy love. All right. Well, thanks for listening, people. And thanks for joining us, Lisa. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>